This week's episode is made possible by our friends at Independent Bank. You can learn more about them at i-bankonline.com. Good morning, Memphis. You are listening to Meanwhile in Memphis on WYXR Radio 91.7 FM. Meanwhile in Memphis is a program dedicated to conversations that celebrate the organizations, initiatives, and people that are shaping Memphis for the better. Meanwhile in Memphis is brought to you by New Memphis, a nonprofit organization whose mission is to develop, activate, and retain the city's most important resource, its people. Your hosts today are Rebecca Daly and myself, Anna Thompson. Before we get into introducing our wonderful guests for today, we have a few upcoming events that we wanted to make sure to share with you. So excited about this. There are so many ways to activate in our community this summer, and one is happening this Thursday night on June 15th. It is the second event of our summer experience series, Launch Night at the Shell, that is the Overton Park Shell. So if you know any summer interns or college students, make sure that you invite them to join us this Thursday for Launch Night at the Shell. Don't forget, you can head to newmemphis.org slash events to register, and we'll also link that in the show notes. Also coming up quickly is the deadline for our Educators of Excellence Award. If you know an educator in Memphis who is transformational and deserving of not only accolades, but a $1,500 reward, uh, we will be celebrating those educators this summer, but we do need your nominations to be turned in by June 30th. Or if you're an educator yourself, feel free to apply. Please apply, yes. Something else we have coming up is Memphis 101, which will happen on June 22nd. This will happen over at the Penny Hardaway Hall of Fame from 5.30 to 7.30 p.m. This is a crash course on all things Memphis, which is ideal for not only newcomers to the city, but longtime Memphians alike. Um, This will be hosted by Janie Rad and New Memphis's very own Jamie Bowler-Ralph. You can also join New Memphis at the premier leadership conference in the community for leaders from all sectors. So whether you are a young professional, a mid-career leader, or a senior executive, we're going to have some great programming going on for you on August 11th at the New Memphis Leadership Summit. The theme is Level Up. So if you are a leader who is looking to level up, this is the event for you. And again, we'll link the registration form in our show notes. So now that we've got your calendars fully booked, we hope you are all ears as we welcome our guests. Today, we'll be having a conversation with Shante Avant, who is the president and CEO of the Women's Foundation for a Greater Memphis. Shante succeeds the longtime president, Ruby Bright, and over her course of work with the foundation, she's been able to experience all of the facets from her work, from grant programs and investments and fundraising to communications and marketing strategies. Shante is a New Memphis alum, having completed the Fellows Program, and also has served as Shelby County Commissioner for District 5. Previously, she served on the Shelby County Board of Education, representing District 6, and she serves as Deputy Director for the Women's Foundation, managing its staff and operations. She has 17 years of experience in the nonprofit sector and works closely with our next guest. Eva Mosby is the Regional Vice President of Urban Strategies, Inc., and has been since July of 2019. She has more than 40 years of public service experience working with children and families. Eva is responsible for managing, directing, and implementing Urban Strategies' programmatic function and performance. She specializes in supportive services strategic planning, community engagement, resident capacity building, and relocation support. 
Her work is rooted in racial equity framework that recognizes the legacy of systemic racism and cultural oppression that has long served as a barrier for family success. Without further ado, please join us in welcoming Shante and Eva to the studio. Welcome to the studio, Shante and Eva. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. (laughs) Thank you so much for joining us today. We are excited to explore the intersections of your work, but first we need to get to know a little bit about each of you. So Shante, I was hoping you could give us a quick overview of the Women's Foundation of Greater Memphis, who it serves, and your role in relationship with the organization. Well, I would be very glad to do so, Rebecca. This is, um, thanks again for having us. It's a really uh, a great opportunity to share some great things about Memphis, and I always appreciate the ways New Memphis finds ways to create opportunities for conversations and intersections of this work. Um, so thank you. Uh, my name is Shante Avant, and I'm the president and CEO of the Women's Foundation for a Greater Memphis. We're a philanthropic organization that raises money to invest in programs that help low-income families. And so essentially what that means is people, um, corporations, and foundations all support our work. And then we take those dollars and resources and really invest them in some of the most marginalized communities um, in Memphis. Thank you. Um, Eva, I was curious if you could share. um, So Urban Strategies, Inc. is a national nonprofit organization, correct? That's correct. Um, Will you give us some insight about your organization's national mission um, and how Memphis became a part of that work, as well as your role in relationship? Okay. Urban Strategies is 45 years old this year. So we're celebrating 45 years old. And we really uh, use this work um, to really design and really implement place-based initiatives for, you know, families in public housing. And then around the country, they have uh, undergone some really comprehensive redevelopment. So therefore, if you think about foot homes, now it's Foot Park at South City, we really work closely with those families. And with Urban Strategy, we're the people lead, which means we work with the people. We don't do the brick and mortar. We work with the people. So that's really important. And Urban Strategy has been in Memphis for about 20 years. And thanks to the Women's Foundation for bringing Urban Strategies here. And really, that was during that uh, Hope Six uh, work. And so since then, we have really been funders uh, for the Women's Foundation. They really pour into Urban Strategies and the families that we serve. I am the regional vice president of Urban Strategies, and this is based home for me. Urban Strategies is based out of St. Louis, Missouri. But however, like I said, Memphis is home for me, and I love Memphis. Well, we love to have you here. Um, So some quick definitions for any listeners who might not know what the footholds are. Can you share a little bit about that? And then the Hope Six. Okay. Yeah. Foothome is a housing project. That's what most people say, a housing project. But we say a housing development that really um, the uh, Memphis Housing Authority managed that development. And so only people that lived in Foot Home initially was public housing resident. But with this redevelopment, it's a mixed income development. So therefore, you have market rate, tax credit, and public housing that will live there. And we no longer call them public housing. We call them project-based vouchers because that voucher stays with the development. 
And with Hope Six, Hope Six was really that that was the Women's Foundation baby. So I'm gonna <laughs> let Shantae talk about that because that's really how they got urban. Yeah, here. I know it sometimes gets kind of wonky with all of these terms that we use. <laughs> no, I love it. Uh, we, we, we have a lot of terms too. Yeah, it's a lot. Well, so I guess to give you some context, you know, the Women's Foundation became part of a public-private partnership a number of years ago. And we did that with the city of Memphis and Memphis Housing Authority. So at that time, Memphis uh, had, oh, probably roughly eight to 10 um, housing projects, what people used to call, uh, well, housing developments, what people called the projects, right? We had several of those across the city of Memphis. Well, um, I'm glad to say now Memphis is the only city in the country that has essentially eliminated all concentrated public housing. There's no more concentrated public housing in Memphis. And that was, you know, due to the vision of our our leadership at that time uh, over 15 years ago when we were receiving these federal grants, which were called Hope Six grants at the time. And those Hope Six grants came in and said, how do we give you money in order to revitalize public housing? Because if you can, um, you know, thinking about how some of those developments looked, um, they were akin to like a third world country, you know, just the neglect over years of uh, where we have not created um, infrastructure or um, investments in areas where poor people lived. I mean, just to be really honest, right? And so um, with these Hope Six grants, we redeveloped these housing developments into mixed income communities, right? So that one, people had housing that was affordable, but it also was, you know, it's new and it's, it's beautiful. Um, it's beautiful. Yeah. yeah. If you look at all of them around the city, the University Place, um, Legends Park, and then the last two developments were the um, Claiborne Homes and now Foot Homes, which are now Claiborne Point at Heritage Landing, or is the new name, and Foot Park at uh, South City. So those are the latest of the developments that we've had. But our relationship with Urban Strategies really started when we were redeveloping these um, housing developments and making sure that there was a way for us to really focus on the people who live there. So how do you help them get the resources needed to get, you know, back into the development, to have workforce training, to have case management needs, high-quality childcare and schooling for your kids. And so that's a lot of what Eva and her team do in working with those families. And the foundation's role was really how we fund and provide the resources needed to do that. So if I could add one caveat, so that Women's Foundation, when we are funding these organizations, we're funding the programs that help these families. And so that's really, we take a comprehensive look at how you align the resources needed to really support sometimes the most marginalized families in our community, and we fund programs to help them get on their feet, get to economic stability. That's powerful. (laughs) And I also want to share that at Foot Homes or Foot Park at South City, that's a choice neighborhood initiative. And we say with that choice neighborhood, it's Hope Six on steroids, (laughs) because with Hope Six, it really focuses in on the people and that brick and mortar. With uh, Choice Neighborhood, there's really three components. That's housing, that's the neighborhood, and that's the people. And we're the people lead, so we have different leads on each of those components. So that's why we say it's on steroids. 
That's so important to the intersection of all of those things. Um, we had Dwayne Spencer on a few weeks ago to talk about Habitat for Humanity in mm-hmm. Greater Memphis. And um, we also had Marcy over at Church Health and just the way that social determinants of health are all intersected and overlapping, mm-hmm. how you can't kind of help one in a silo and expect the other ones. You know, you need to have those full, you need to serve the whole person, essentially. So it sounds like both of your organizations are doing that quite well. Yes, yes. And Shati, you, you've mentioned a few times that um, Women's Foundation is working to serve the most marginalized uh, members of our community. And and when we're thinking about our neighbors in that context, what are some of the needs um, of the most, how, how do we define marginalized, mm-hmm. first of all? Well, and these are people that are living at or below the poverty line, right? So when we began some of the work, um, what we call our Vision 2020 plan, and we're building on that with now our Vision 2025 plan, it was to reduce poverty in the poor zip code in the city of Memphis, which happens to be um, zip code 38126, which is now um, Foot Park at South City. South City is the name of the community. And so when you're thinking about um, the people who were being served, when we began that work with those families, the average household income was about $6,800 for a family of four. So if you can imagine a family of four living off, you know, $6,800 a, a year, you can imagine that there are a lot of needs. Um, it's, you know, quality education. It's um, employment. It's um, programs for youth. It is financial literacy. Um, it's really how, what are all of the factors that a family would need to become first stable before you can even think about them becoming economically secure? Right. So you're looking at the whole cradle to career pipeline. It really is. Um, And that's part of for the Women's Foundation. It was an intensive part of our work. Really, um, our approach is three generational. So we're not just thinking about the adults. You're not just focused in on the kids. You're really thinking about the entire family. And with our three gen approach, we know that family dynamics are different, right? Um, sometimes you may have a mom and her children and a grandmom all living in the same house. So our three-gen approach really helps us think about the entire needs of the family through a cradle-to-career because you're thinking about the early investments in our young people and early education. And we know that if you start and help, um, help kids be ready and prepared for kindergarten, they're more likely to be reading on third grade level. So it's a it's a continuum, right, of all of the different things that we know families need. Uh, but providing economic stability for our families, and that's through a myriad of ways. One is how you provide basic education, case management, and stability for those families. And then helping them get to, you know, workforce training programs, right, that are high wage and high growth. Um, and I, I, I give you this scenario. Even when we talk about the folks that are the most marginalized, if you put a woman behind a curtain, whether she was from an affluent background or from a low-income family, all women want the same for their children, regardless of their economic status, right? They want what's best for their children. But oftentimes, the people that we serve have not had access to opportunity and resources to make that happen for their children. So that's part of the work that we do at the Women's Foundation. Um, So part of the WFGM mission is to help women break the cycle of poverty through philanthropy, leadership, and collaboration. Um, You've spoken a little bit about the three-gen approach with this, but um, as a female myself, I was curious about what barriers tend to apply to women that, if removed, can benefit the entire family or community as a whole. Oh, wow. Yeah. So it's 
it's the it's the ripple effect, right? So when you're helping a family or a woman and her children, then you're ultimately helping that family, which ultimately helps our community, right? Because you have less uh, folks who are dependent on oftentimes public systems, right? And, you know, if they're able to get to a point where they can eventually purchase a home, well, you know, they're contributing to the tax base and all the other things that we as citizens of Memphis and Shelby County value, right? So it's really a ripple effect when you're able to help women um, have quality of life, sustain a living wage, um, able to take care of them, their families. And then also is ultimately you're really trying to break that cycle so that if we're providing the tools and resources that those children need, they're less likely to live in poverty, right? And we don't want a zip code to be a determinant of where people end up. Uh, so really focusing on supports for young people with our early education work, as well as our programs we support in youth development. Um, we have two, three schools that we are working with in our place-based strategy, and this zip code, um, that's LaRose Elementary, it's Cummings Elementary, and it's Booker T. Washington Middle and High School. And I'll give you one little quick story about um, some of the kids that we're working with. We work each year with these schools. We provide backpacks. We do holistic um, wraparound services for the kids and the teachers in these schools because we want them to know that there are people who care about you and your success. And so how do we help you become more successful? How do we help you um, have opportunities for post-secondary um, you know, whether you're going to work or you're going to the military or you're going to, you know, to college, whatever that is, how do we help you get to those next milestones in your life, right? Because for some of us, you take for granted. In my household, it wasn't, the question wasn't if you're going to college, it was where you're going to college, right? But for a lot of the kids that we serve, it's what is next? If there, it's the if, it's always the if. And so we want to take the if away and say, what is the next step that's going to make you successful? What's your path? What's your journey? How do we help you get there? So we have provided scholarships to, uh, this happened last year, and we're in the second year of this. We um, chose five students who graduated from BTW, and they got a full ride to Lemoyne Owen College. And that's room, it's board, it's all the case management supports they need. But anything that could be a barrier, we've tried to remove that. And they're all first-generation college students, right? And so they've just finished their first year. We're really excited. We're going to do a celebration with them. But it's three young men and two women who have been able to take advantage of this. And um, it's really interesting. One of the young men lived in the housing development right across the street from the Moana one. And he said, you know, I always wondered what they did in that building. And now he's in the building because he's a college student at Lemoyne Owen College. So like those are the things that you want to see that it's not just one off or it's not five students, but it's all of the kids who have the potential if you're able to pour the resources and opportunities and know that there's a pathway for them, a pathway forward. So inspiring. Yeah. I love that story. Changing the starting line so yes. that everyone has has a closer and more equitable approach to what their future looks like is Absolutely. incredible. And and part of we've talked a little bit about the, you know, changing folks um, access to their start line um, and housing is a huge part of that. Mm-hmm. Eve, I'm wondering if you could share um, some success stories, uh, any any data that you have from the communities that you're helping to shape? OK, yes, I can. 
Shantae mentioned that when we started this in 2015, we applied for the Choice Neighborhood Grant, the income was about $6,000 of annual income. And now we look at this, the average income is uh, $22,000. It was up to twenty five dollars until the pandemic, so it trickled down a little bit. So we're working with the families to really get that income back up, but that's a huge win there. You know, you're going from $6,000 now to $22,000 a year. That's huge for us. We had a family just bought, purchase a home. She moved in about two weeks ago, so we're really excited. And we have another that's in the process of homeownership. So all those things are really important to us. And we really have, we always say we keep our families at the center of all of our results. And our mission is for all children and family to be stable and thriving. We really work on that. We provide the direct case management services. We have what we call five pillars of work. Case management, education, health and wellness, because it's important that they're well, that they actually have access to health care. And then we look at um, economic mobility. That's really huge for us. And then we do policy and influence because we want our families to advocate for themselves as well. And we're looking at the policy as well. What is hindering our folks from moving forward? And we're looking at it through a race lens, a race and equity lens, because we want to make sure they're not being disenfranchised in any way through that lens. What are some of the um, kind of findings that you found through looking at some of the policy um, and resident engagement and stuff like that, that now you're implementing into some of your work to make sure that those barriers are removed? We did a survey back early uh, spring. And one of the things that came across that some of our families, majority of our families are headed by females. And they said, I want to uh, employment, but I do not, I cannot afford to, you know, go through a training program because I don't have, you know, the funds to do that. And they said, if I can receive a stipend, that would really help me. So we're really now trying to advocate where can we get stipend that can really give them a small weekly stipend, about $300. Therefore, it can go toward their cost of living, their child care, their food, whatever they need it for. Don't put any restriction on it. But that's one of the things we found. They said, we will go through training and stay. And we know most training, it's about a year long, anywhere between nine months to a year to really qualify for these good jobs. And as we think about Blue Oval that's in the area, we really want to get them upskilled for that. So that's one of the things we're really trying to do. How can we find funding to really support that. And I think, you know, Eva and the work that Urban Strategies has done on a national level and even how they are looking at policies, you know, here in the state of Tennessee, you know, this in, this wave of thought around the income security, as she's mentioning, um, many other states are doing that already, where you're thinking about if you're removing barriers for women or low-income families, period, whether it's a male or female, but how does... In, providing a income security, create opportunities for them to keep stable, stable and level set, right, while they're going through these training programs that ultimately they'll be able to have a job and a living wage. Uh, and, and many of these are high growth industries. So I, I think Urban Strategies is kind of leading in the forefront on that in ways that we can work with our, our legislators and lawmakers to think about instead of um, our folks taxing our public systems, how do we create opportunities for them to move off of those public systems, right? And the only way they're going to do that is if they're employed. So how do we create opportunities to remove those barriers to employment? Because if you're a mom and you have four kids and, you know, they could range from age, you know, 
having quality childcare is going to be an important uh, piece of that. And how do you remove that barrier? Um, having uh, employment, making sure that you're able to pay your light bill, making sure. And these are very basic things that sometimes our families encounter. But, you know, I, as I mentioned, you know, urban strategies leading the way on how this could be an, an opportunity for our policymakers to think about if the ultimate goal is to have a more thriving, have more thriving communities. We know the way to do that is that you've got to lift all boats, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, in order for us to do that. And one of the ways that policymakers think about that is from the ways that we are utilizing subsidies and our public systems are stretched. How do you help our families move from that? Now, another thing our data has shown, majority of our families do not receive that TANF. That's temporary assistance for the needed families. They do not receive TANF. But however, they do receive the SNAP or the food stamp benefits. And that's part of that public system, too. We know that legislators talking about now adding some work requirements, even though they still have work requirements, but there are some exemptions. So those are the things that you know our data is showing us. You know, what impact would this new ruling have on our families as well? That's huge. Mm -hmm. um, something that's really kind of coming through when speaking to both of you, but especially you, Eva, is the importance of knowing the data, but also making sure that you keep a face with the data and making sure that it's not just numbers that you're talking about when you're looking at policy or homes or resources, but that these are people um, who deserve every great thing that the city has to offer. Um, and so I'm really glad that Urban Strategies and Women's Foundation for Greater Memphis is putting the people at the heart and at the front of the work mm -hmm. that y'all are doing. Absolutely. Thank you. And I also want to share, I guess about two years ago, maybe right before the pandemic, we had one of our residents, students to graduate from BTW. She was the valedictorian of that school. So, of course, that made our heart glad. And the Women Foundation really supported her, too, when she started college. So how can we support her to ensure that she has everything that she needs? Because she was going to UT Martin and she didn't have she had a scholarship, but it still was some gaps there. Mm -hmm. And the Women's Foundation stepped in and provided those gaps, filled those gaps. So we're really appreciative of our relationship. Mm -hmm. And it's a 15 year relationship. I mean, we've been doing this work together, our organizations for over 15 years. And so um, providing that case management, we know that's a key to a lot of the work that we do because you're really working to stabilize families before, you know, it's kind of hard to say, well, do you want to go and be, you know, um, a chemical engineer? Well, there's a whole bunch of steps between that. Yeah, right? it, it's not that simple. <laughs> it's not that simple. You know, I really would just like to make sure that my kids and I have food on our table. Mm -hmm. We want to make sure our lights are on. We want to make sure that we live in a safe community, right? Um, so that there aren't influences that sometimes can draw and be, you know, negative influences with our kids. So these are things that, you know, when you're talking about what Urban Strategies does, you know, in providing that case management, those are all of the aspects you're looking at so that you can stabilize families. And then you help them create a plan for how they're able to move, you know, kind of up that ladder. And that's what we call our individual development plan. We do one on every resident, the adult. And in addition to that, we do a family development plan because it's important that we have the voices. What do you want for your children as well? Can you um, share a little bit about what goes into that plan? Something that I mean, you've already hit on a lot of that stuff, I'm sure. <laughs> but I'm curious what, uh, what that process looks like to sit down with an individual and a family to help map out what success looks like. 
And it's not just one time. It's usually at least once a year we're revisiting that plan. So the case managers, they are sitting down and having a conversation. We said it's not an interview. It's a conversation with the person. And it started with just basic demographic initially. And then where do you see yourself? Where do you see your children? What do you want? We have, I guess, our. it takes probably about an hour to go through that, that uh, conversation. And some it take longer than that. But really, our first thing, we want you stable at house because we know that's important. Mm-hmm. And then we start going through the question about employment. If you're unemployed, okay, what do you want to do? Mm-hmm. Here are some opportunities there. And if they share, uh, I want to go through um, housekeeping. So we know some of the employers, but we've built relationship with employers so we connect them with that. And then once you get there, because I know over at um, Methodist, they had a, uh, a program. Once you start, you can move up. They had some schooling they could attend, some education component to that. So that really could help our residents, too. In fact, the young lady I said that purchased her home, she's employed by Methodist. Mm-hmm. So it really makes that, that upper mobility really important for us as well. Because we don't want you to just stay there. We want you to really have that upper mobility. As you're looking at the future, uh, I wanted to circle back a little bit. Um, Shante, you talked about your Vision 2020 plan, mm-hmm. and now you have a Vision 2025. Yes. Can you tell us a little bit about that, What it, you know, where it came from and where it's going? Sure. So, um, you know, when we started Vision 2020, it was really thinking about this community of South City that you know, poor zip code in the city of Memphis, poor zip code in the state and some, you know, in in many places in the country. And, you know, our board, which is a phenom, they are like the most um, powerful women in the city. Um, And not just because of their position, but more because of their um, passion and their commitment to this work. And so they said, we want to be, you know, if we're really stepping into the mission of the organization, how do we make this mission really live in what we do and how it shows up in community? And so they crafted the Vision 2020 plan, which was to reduce poverty by 5% over five years. And so we went about that. And so we, you know, focused on five areas, which was case management, early education, youth development, workforce development, and financial literacy. And how do you take those aspects for a family and really move it forward? So we found organizations that um, were doing work in South City or wanted to do work in South City to serve these families. Um, we've actually invested about $7.3 million into this work over the last five years. And um, we've had great success. I mean, we serve about 8,000 individuals annually, um, and those are, that is through the work of our grantee partners. We have about 30 grantee partners who we work with. Um, and, and it's organizations like Urban Strategies. It's the Boys and Girls Club. It's um, Hope Works. It's I mean, it's a, a list. And I encourage anyone to go to our website at WFGM.org um, to see all of the different organizations that we are supporting. But we work in partnership and collaboration with them. You know, when we talk about that philanthropy, leadership and collaboration, that's what I mean. It's the philanthropy is how we give. And people, when you're thinking about philanthropy, it isn't that you're just giving money to, it's not throwing a noodle up on the wall, but it's really like, how are you strategically thinking about the things that are going to make your community better? And so through our philanthropy, you know, we fund organizations that help low-income families become economically secure. 
And so our Vision 2020 plan was really, how do you do that in this one community? And now with Vision 2025, our model has been so successful that we're th- we are now expanding into other neighborhoods. And so we've expanded into 38106. We'll be expanding into 38105, 107, and 108. Um, taking this model of how you're keeping families at the center because the people in these neighborhoods are the folks that are most approximate to the solutions, right? So it's not us deciding what are the solutions that are going to make your community better. It really is you deciding, and you're the authors of that solution. How do we empower you and the people in your family to do that? That's that's passion and action. Yes, it is. I it love is. that. Um, how could uh, individuals, companies, organizations get involved to support the work that you're already doing and help mm-hmm. it grow? Oh, wow. Yeah. So it's, you know, there's so many different ways that people can get in, engaged with the Women's Foundation. We have um, individual donors. Um, that's one way you, you're giving to the organization. And you know that we're going to be very good stewards of your dollars and that we're vetting all of the organizations that are providing these services, and we want those programs to be effective programs, right? We're not funding organizations that are not doing good work. We take the time to vet those organizations um, as an intermediary. Um, you can, So individually, you can make donations. You can volunteer for the different events that we have throughout the year. Um, corporations and foundations can support us uh, in that same way. Um, they can sponsor some of the events that we have or just make a grant um, directly to the organization. But there's so many, many, so many different ways. And now through June 30th, we have a challenge grant that's been supplied by the Hyde Family Foundation. And so any gift that you make is double. So your gift of five becomes 10, your gift of 100 becomes 200, your gift of 500 becomes 1,000. So it's very easy for you to double the impact that you're making. Um, so now through June 30th, the High Family, thanks to the High Family Foundation, your gift will be matched. And so that's a way for people to just easily say, you know what, I'd like to become um, a donor of the foundation, but I'd really like to make a greater impact. So now through June 30th, you could really do that. Eva, I'll ask the same thing of you. How can we get involved with Urban Strategies? Getting involved with Urban Strategies is easy. Of course, we walk alongside with the Women's Foundation every event that they have where they're participating in supporting them. But also financially, you know, there's on our website, so hey, you want to make a gift. You know, you can sponsor some of, we have monthly resident meeting. You can sponsor the monthly resident meeting because, you know, you have to have food when you're having people there. (laughs) Hospitality. (laughs) Hospitality. Southern hospitality, we have to have food. And really, as you start thinking about the work that we're doing, we have received federal grant, and there are a lot of things we can't purchase or can't do with federal funds. So really having that discretionary funds to do things with our family, and that's why we're so thankful for the Women's Foundation. We've had uh, families that had lived somewhere, and they had the flood. Remember back in, in the fall or winter when we had that early flood, and some of our families got displaced, so therefore we put them up in hotel thanks to the funds that we received from the Women's Foundation because we couldn't do it with the federal funds. So all those things that we can't do, we rely on from, from donors to do that. So we really appreciate all the funds that we can receive. Eva, um, I'm curious, because Urban Strategies is a national organization, um, what makes the work of Urban Strategies unique here in Memphis? This is home for me. That's one of the reasons it's unique. And really just, I'm really invested in this area. In fact, uh, I have a re- what I call the Southern region. So when, when I'm talking to my counterparts, I'm always referring to Memphis. 
I said, at Memphis, we've done great work and we have everything, the data to uh, prove it. And as I think about HUD, HUD reference us oftentimes too. So which really makes it really important for me to continue to do the work. And about three weeks ago, I had someone from Shreveport, Louisiana, because we've been talking about the work. She wanted to come to Memphis and they did come just to see the work that we're doing. So just really, you know, uplifting Memphis. This is home. You know, the arts and culture, everything about Memphis is home for me. And I it's the food, that. too. It is not food. Yes. the food. Can't, can't leave the food, the food out. You can't leave the food out. Well, I love Memphis. that Memphis is being used as a shining example of moving the needle in this area um, for other cities, especially around the South. I feel like that's a huge win for our city and something that we definitely need to celebrate a little bit more is that. Sure, everywhere has opportunities, um, Memphis included, but the work that both Urban Strategies and Women's Foundation for Greater Memphis is doing is is getting noticed. Um, yeah. yeah, we've had a lot of national recognition about our model, actually. Um, we received an award back in 2013 or 2012 from from Housing and Urban Development. A federal The federal agency recognized us for this public-private partnership and how we've made such gains in providing opportunities for low-income families to no longer be low-income families, <laughs> right? That's the goal. And so, you know, nationally, we've been a part of many partnerships um, through other women's funds as demonstration models about how this place-based strategy, I mean, because a lot of people, and there's a lot of different types of philanthropic groups in Memphis, right? But none that are focused just specifically on women. It's led by women for women, right? So it makes us unique in, in that way. But also, um, our founder was Murdy Buckman, and she was a philanthropist in the city of Memphis who understood that even though philanthropy does a lot of great work, when we think about those that are the most impoverished, it's women and children. And so she started the foundation with a group of very like-minded, progressive, badass women <laughs> um, who said, how do we make a change? And they've been doing that for the last 27 years. So I'm, I'm really excited to be a part of this organization, its growth, its evolution, um, and one, how we can continue to be really leading the way on the best ways um, to demonstrate why effective programming keeping families at the center um, can really move the poverty needle in Memphis. Can you share a little bit about how your fellows experience um, and your own leadership development has helped you pour back into not only women's foundation, but also the city? You know, this, I, I always want to attribute that my experience at new Memphis was probably one of the best experiences I ever had. And I mean, that is, it's not a lot of, um, it's no fluff. It is like real talk that I worked for an organization prior when I started the fellows program, met a fellow, uh, one of my colleagues told me about this position at the Women's Foundation. I applied for the position, got the position. And here I am 16 years later, president and CEO of the organization. But my point is, it was about the relationships, right? It's about people who are um, like minded about how you can make Memphis better. You, you saw people who came from every walk of life as a part of our, our class, and many of them who I am really good friends with still to this day. Um, it, it was important that you people saw maybe something that was a unique skill set for you and how that could be a good connection for something that was happening in Memphis or um, an opportunity or, 
you know, this is something you're really passionate about. Did you know that this was going on? Would you like to get engaged? And so that has been just an, an evolution of that work um, many times over, right? It was the connections that I made. It was the relationships I developed. But it was all about people who are trying to move Memphis forward. And I think New Memphis gives like one of the best platforms to make those kind of things happen with the people you bring together, the um, time that you put in helping really think people think about what their own leadership skills and abilities and gifts are, and then how do you put it to work, right? Um, and then not only how do you recognize it, but then you make all these connection points for the people who go through New Memphis to say, okay, then how do I activate that? So I, it was really one of the best experiences I had, and I'm, and I'm very grateful, um, and we'll always love New Memphis for that. We couldn't have said it better ourselves. <laughs> <laughs> that was beautiful. Um, and, and, you know, as you've re- referenced, the the connections that are available in Memphis, the accessibility to resources, to thought partners, mm-hmm. um, you know, thinking through what that's meant for your work and how it's moving not only your organizations forward, but the city forward. Um, you know, what are the things that are on the horizon for you that you're most excited about for your organizations and your partnerships? So, you know, Maybe in April, I shared a little bit about my own vision as leader, newly in my role. I've, I've actually been president and CEO since January 1. <laughs> so Halfway into your first year. Yes, <laughs> halfway into my first year. But I've been with the organization for 16 years, right? And so where we've grown as an organization is really thinking about ourselves really as a nexus within community, deeply rooted in community. But how do you connect all of these different aspects of community, whether it's our public systems and local government, it's our schools, it is the people who live in those communities, it's the faith-based community, it's the business community, it is the community-based organizations who are serving the community. How do you make sure that there is total alignment And that's not an easy thing to do, right? But I think the Women's Foundation, what's next for us on the horizon is really creating and building out a model of how that works best so that you can take that from community to community. So the Women's Foundation is really going to be working to be create this continuum of care, right, around all of the ways that we as citizens and people who live in communities need our local government, how we need our healthcare systems, how we need our schools, how we need community-based organizations, how we utilize our faith-based organizations, how do we utilize the businesses within our community or, or broader. So we will be utilizing this continuum of care to really build out strategies to support families in community, one community at a time. So that's what's new for us on the horizon. It's big. I it's was say, no small task. <laughs> no small task. No small task. But, you know, we've already been doing that. Um, in so many small ways, but it's really formalizing it in ways and how we talk about that in our partnerships. I'm excited. And what's new or next for uh, Urban Strategies is that our uh, Choice Neighborhood Grant will end in September, but however, we will still do the work. And we're applying for funding to really expand our work to some additional zip codes. So therefore, we'll be able to serve more families and not necessarily just public housing families, but the broader community that are really in poverty. So we're, we're in the process of thinking about what those zip codes are. And I heard Shantae mention some zip codes, so I jotted those down. <laughs> so we'll have a conversation about that because I'm submitting the grant application within the, probably the next month. I think it's due July 7th. So that's with the state of Tennessee. And we had one prior where we served three zip codes, 38126, 38106, and 38109. So 
we may pivot those zip codes some so we can mirror some of those zip codes that the Women's Foundation will be serving. So that's really what's next on the horizon for us. How do we really expand our work here and our footprint in Memphis? Because we know we've had some huge success, so we want to continue that. How does um, an individual or family who might be looking for some support or resources um, get in contact with either you, Eva over at Urban Strategies or Shante, the Women's Foundation, to see if any of the grantees might be useful in helping them um, in their journey out of poverty? Oh, yeah. So um, if they have uh, access to technology and they can, you know, definitely check out our website at WFGM. Or they could call us at 901-578-9346. Whatever is the easiest way for them to get that communication. And then we'll work to connect them to those resources. Whether it's through a grantee partner, depending on their need. You know, whether it's a housing need or um, it's an um, emergency, you know, need. Whether, you know, for, for um, utilities or food. Because you would be surprised about the number of families that still experience a lot of inf- food insecurity. And 38126 is a food desert. So, you know, we have to find ways sometimes just to bridge those very simple, what they what they may, may seem as simple, but very basic needs for many of our families with urban strategies and some of our partners. FedEx has been such a great supporter. Um, we, prov- we actually do mobile food drives quarterly in 38126. So that's one way. Um, when people are asking how they can get involved, you could come and volunteer at the mobile food drive. It's about three, four hours of your day if you have that. Or if you only have an hour to come, come and, and volunteer for an hour. But those mobile food drives are a great way. And you people are always so grateful that people thought enough of them to make sure that they have a basic necessity like food. And they can reach me at Eva, E-V-A dot M-O-S-B-Y at USI-INC dot ORG or they can call at 901-245-2754. And they can do a Google search too for our email for our website. It's a long website. <laughs> <laughs> That's fine. And we can link that we'll we'll link both of your websites in the show notes um, as well as ways that folks can get in contact with you. Absolutely. Okay. So now is the portion of our show where we are going to switch gears a little bit and have what we call a lightning round. So okay. don't freak out. It's fun, I promise. <laughs> okay. um, so these are stream of conscious questions um, where you just give the first answer that comes to your mind. Okay. Um, so what is your favorite way to rest or recharge, Eva? Vacation. <laughs> I love it. Let's not mince words, Shande. Um Vacation at the beach, specifically. <laughs> More specifically. Uh-huh. Okay. Um, Shantae, what is your favorite season in Memphis? Summer. <gasps> what? A yeah, literal hot heat. take. It yeah, is. that is a hot take. It, it is. And, you know, it's just because I love outdoor activities. Even though it's hot, like in the mornings, like at 7.30 or 8 a.m., to go for a bike ride on the Green Lawn is like... I mean, it is peak heaven. happiness. It yes. is peak <laughs> happiness for me. So it is. It's summer, but there's also like there's. It's the start of like a lot of festivals and events, and even if it's hot, I mean, like people are coming together and they're out and about. So I love it, and I love a good patio. Oh, and we yeah. have so many great patios in Memphis. What's your favorite patio? God, if you're gonna, it would have to be if it's from a high end restaurant to a bar. <laughs> like, Which is the so first many. one that comes to mind? Oh, Bosco's is actually one of my favorite patios. It really I love is. It. That's a good one. Yeah, it is a good, a good one. one. 
What about you, Eva? What's your favorite season in Memphis? Summer. Oh, two I for two. Summer. I love okay. the steam heat. The steam heat, that's yes. for sure. <laughs> I don't like cold. Okay. <laughs> so if I'm in the office, I have a heater going all year long. So, okay. Yes. Well, then you so live I, in the right city. Yes. So I got this morning. I <laughs> in the right th- region. <laughs> yeah. I walked three miles this morning. I love it. I love it. The activity, too. All right. One, one last question. Could you describe Memphis in one word? Amazing. Resilient. Amazing yes. and resilient. Amazing yes. and we resilient. Are. Yes. Yeah. We, we are, are Memphians that yeah. way. Yeah. We are. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Eva and Jante, for taking time out of your very busy schedules to join us and share more about the work that each of your organizations is doing in Memphis and in the Mid-South. And we are very excited to continue to celebrate the work and move our city forward. Thank you so much for having us today. Yeah, thank you. We really appreciate it. I loved chatting today with Shantae and Eva, Rebecca. Um, I feel like not only do both the Women's Foundation for Greater Memphis and Urban Strategies do so much work within the communities that they serve, but it was also a very educational experience for me and very introspective. Absolutely. There is so much passion and action, not only from these organizations being infused into the community, but learning about the ways that they're understanding the communities that they serve and the passions that those communities have for growth and mobility. Um, I think something we, we, we chatted about a little bit um, right at the end of the episode is, is a little bit of a gratitude audit. I think there's an opportunity for us to think about the pieces of our lives um, that make our day-to-day livable and our futures accessible, but to also consider the ways that not all of those things are accessible for our neighbors. Uh, and I, I hope that if you're listening, you can do a similar audit and think through the things that you may be able to help your neighbors uh, achieve, whether that is through individual action or through supporting organizations like the Women's Foundation of Greater Memphis or Urban Strategies Incorporated. Absolutely. Um, And if you do happen to do one of these audits, we would love to hear about it. If you'd love to share with us over at info at newmemphis.org. I know that Rebecca and I will be doing a similar kind of gratitude audit. um, Yeah, going through our day to day and seeing the ways that things could potentially be a pain point, if not for the opportunities that we individually have. So um, until think of ways we can pay that forward. Absolutely. Until next week. Bye. This week's episode is made possible by our friends at Independent Bank. You can learn more about them at i-bankonline.com.